1: Get ready to grip it and rip it. All right, let's move on. We got golfers, waiting.
2: Dedicated to bringing better golf to America, this is Tea to Green, the golf show. That's right. It's
3: destination listening for dedicated golfers. It is Tea to Green. It's the golf show. Welcome to another home edition. Jay Ritchie, along with Jerry Evans, talking golf one more time. Thank you for listening. And thanks for making what we do a part of your Sports Weekend. Well, a couple of golf writers join us today here on TD Green. Up first, Luke Reese, who penned the touching memoir, One for the Memory Banks. It's a poignant and true story of a decades-long friendship with his late golfing pal and mentor, Alan Bond. The two not only played golf together, they hung out together together and the wily old Scotsman took a young American colleague under his wing. They both appreciated hard work, and they both loved to golf, and they both loved to beat one another. Now it's in the form of a of a book, just in time for the holiday season. Got a golfer in your orbit? Might be a great Christmas gift for the golfer in your family. One for the memory banks. Luke Reese will be joining us today here on Tee to Green to talk about it. For the better part of the last thirty years and for most of his adult life, Kurt Sampson has been writing about golf for Golf Digest, Golf World, Golf Magazine, and he's also a author in his own right with books like Hogan, Royal and Ancient, Blood, Sweat and Fear at the British Open, The Eternal Summer, Palmer Nicholas Hogan in nineteen sixty, golf's golden years. And he also wrote The War by the shore, and his new book, Roaring Back, The Rise and Fall of Tiger Woods, Kurt Saturday Sampson morning, on Tee to Green today. The sun is coming up, I'm on the tee at seven, I'm here to try my luck, they say this game's a tough one, but I'll give it my best shot, though the bunkers look like beaches and the greens like parking lots, oh lord, what Keep my head down, save me from those double bogey blues. It's America's Longest Running Network Radio Golf Show. It's to Green. Be sure to check us out. Check out our website, TGreenRadio.com. Like us on Facebook and uh, much, much more. Scott Cuddy in Master Control. I'm Jay Ritchie. Jerry Evans is here. We're teeing it up with Luke
4: Reese. If your home service business is not at the top of Google Maps, WinningReviews.com is here to help. You need to be careful when working on your Google My Business profile, which is what shows up on Google Maps. One mistake, and you'll be on page two. WinningReviews.com offers a workshop to teach you how to get to the top of Google Maps. Don't let your competition have that top spot. Check out WinningReviews.com and get to the top of Google Maps. Go to WinningReviews.com. That's WinningReviews.com.
2: Go to brightsidetaxrelief.com now.
1: can help. We offer a complete 100% unconditional client satisfaction guarantee. Make this completely free call and learn how we can help you legally put an end to your timeshare nightmare once and for all. You have nothing to lose, so call right now to qualify and receive a free consultation. 800 880 7167
3: News, interviews, and fun for everyone interested in the game of golf. You found it. It's another edition, a home edition of TD Green, the golf show. Jay Ritchie alongside Jerry Evans. Great to be back with you talking a little golf. How you doing, Jerry?
0: Just one more time. There we go. Hi. Yeah, I'm <laughs> doing here. okay, Jay. Uh, we're enjoying the, uh, the weather here in Colorado. We're expecting some snow, but... Uh, Overall, it should be a good situation, and uh, looking forward to a lot of different things that are happening this fall. I know one thing we're going to be talking about in just a little while as well, something that usually is held in the spring.
3: Yes, yes. Uh, in fact, uh, later in the hour, Kurt Sampson will be here from Augusta to talk about, dare we say it?
0: Should no, we don't want anybody okay. to know just <laughs> yet.
3: <laughs> but uh, he's actually there covering the event.
0: Yeah. So yes. it should be, should be an interesting tournament, that's for sure. And, uh, and this is going to be the first time, I think, that, that I can ever remember or any time in history that it's going to be played not in the springtime but in the fall. And, of course, that was due to the uh, having to shut things down during the coronavirus uh, outbreak.
3: And not only is he going to be here today, but he's going to be back with us next Sunday,
0: that's which will dang. be
3: Championship Sunday.
0: There you go. To talk about that's what's right. been going on
3: yeah. and how, how it's worked out. Yeah. in uh, in, uh, in November instead of April.
0: They might enjoy it. They may move it up permanently. Who knows?
3: Yeah. Our first guest is standing by. I know you noticed you were looking over the book there. I got it in the mail a couple of days ago. In full disclosure, neither Jerry and I have had a chance to read it. I've looked over. I started reading it. I haven't gotten through it. But it, it looks really, really good. And there's something about golf books. That I don't know what it is. And the sport lends itself to to great writing and great storytelling, and in an era when a lot of people don't read anymore, golfers still read.
0: Yes, they do. Yeah. and uh, some of the photography and uh, you know just the literary style of authors that uh, write about golf in their books is amazing to me sometimes, and a lot of times, you know I 'm attracted by the cover. And I really enjoy a good cover on a book, whether it's golf or any other uh, item out there that that might be of interest, but uh, certainly a lot of the golf books, you see the cover and you're going, wow, I'd like to be at that particular hole, or I'd like to be in that environment.
3: Luke Reese was born in a small town in Ohio. (laughs) He's taught to play golf by two low-handicapped Scots. He worked in the golf industry for 30 years, and is a panelist for Golf Magazine. Now he lives in Colorado, and but he spends a lot of time traveling and playing golf. He had an opportunity to meet an older gentleman, an older Scott, named Alan Bond. The two formed a fast friendship. Everyone in, in, that plays golf has a group of friends they play golf with, and everybody kind of gets along in that in that little in that little family golf family pretty well. But there's always somebody in that in that golf group that you seem to have a little better relationship with Mm -hmm. when you're out golfing than the others, right? Nothing, nothing against the others. And, and like I said, everybody gets along great, but there's always one or two that you really get along with in golf. And so these two, that's, that's what happened to them. Um, The book one for the memory banks sprang out of this, a warm recollection of real events that took place with real people and we welcome Luke Reese to Tea to Green to tell us more about it today. Hey, Luke, how are you doing?
2: great. How are you guys? Thanks so much. <laughs> it's been a pleasure that, just listening to your intro.
3: Did that pretty much uh, hit hit it, kind of hit the nail on the head as far I, as the relationship between you and Alan Bond?
2: I, I think that that's perfect. Um, he was, uh, you know, I, I got lucky, um, I was a tennis player in college, um, and uh, sort of, joined Wilson Sporting Goods, which was a, more of a tennis company than a than a golf company. And uh then suddenly I, I go over to Europe and they're like, uh, golf's gonna grow over here, so you gotta figure out how to play golf. And I'm like, uh oh, okay, sure, that's not that hard. Um, you know, I I play tennis, I should be able to play golf. you know, ha ha. ha. Okay. Um and uh I'm I go out and I play, you know, my first round of golf basically with a friend <clears throat> at, a, at a course called Bally Bunyan, which is like, you know, one of the greatest courses on earth. And I'm oh, like yeah. an idiot, you know, I'm an idiot showing up here, you know, in a barber jacket and then, uh, go out and basically, I mean, I can't even come close to doing anything right. Um, and I realize just, just how hard it is. And I pick up the ball on each hole because I'm not going to slow anybody down. But That's at the like end of the day, First baseball game you're playing center field for the New York. Uh, you're playing center field for the Yankees. Yeah, I mean it, it's, it's like you're out there playing. and You're like, okay, sure. Let's let's go. Well, I can I can catch a fly ball. Um, so this this is like my first indoctrination into, into Lynx golf or even golf itself. And uh, I about three weeks later, I'm in my first meeting where I meet Alan Bond, and I'm in a meeting, and I've just started to like learn how to take a, take the club away and swing. And I said. uh, So, uh, Mr. Bond, um, how do you, uh, could you give me any tips? And he leans forward and the whole crowd leans in and he says, let me give you a tip. See that thing there at the end? That's called the grip. Never touch it in front of an account. (laughs) And And now the whole crowd's like laughing and he's like, don't waggle. Don't address the ball. Don't touch it. Don't think you can swing. The moment you put your hands on that, they'll know you don't know how to play golf. <laughs> your job is to hand them the club, tell them what it costs, tell them why it's good, and write orders. And I was like, "Okay, got the message." You know, and <laughs> and everybody, everybody, everybody's cracking up. And this guy had this like persona. He's sort of the, the combination. He's he's somewhere James Bond. You know, Sean Connery. He's some part of Artie Palmer. He's some part of Winston Churchill. He just had this presence and this aura. Well, you know, and, and he was the senior sales guy, and I was like this little junior schmuck. And, uh, you know, a week later, he doesn't need to do this. A week later, a, ba- a package arrives at my desk, and I open it up, and it's Donald Steele's classic Links of the UK golf book. And it's this beautiful photo album of books, of, of courses. And there's a note from him saying, Go learn, go learn, learn how to hit the ball, and I'll take you to these courses. Wow. And I was like, this old, this older guy did not need to do this to me. He just didn't need to, you know. But he knew he'd sort of made fun of me, and he also knew that I had an irrepressible type, you know, personality. So I worked on it, and I hit wiffle balls down in the basement, you know, in, in our office, you know, like sat there and hit, you know, like in, a, in a warehouse. And by next spring, I was able to hit the ball, and I went and played with him. And then he and I just became fast, fast friends. And then we played about 60 different courses all around the UK. And this book essentially recounts that, that trajectory. It recounts us playing that, as you might imagine, with two competitive people, you know, he being particularly funny, there were a lot of funny moments in there. And I've tried to sort of recap it so that I'd, I'd take you around Scotland, take you to Ireland, take you to England, take you to Wales, let you understand the differences between those four places for their golf courses, and then, frankly, um, sort of have there's – always, there's always a twist on almost every story. and I tried to sort of have the storytelling work so that you don't really know what's going to happen in the match. How much older than you was, was he? He's 18 years older, or he was. Um, and, unfortunately, um, you know, this, was, this was part of the tragedy. This is why the, you know, this was, I, had to, I had to get this book written uh, he, he came down with, uh, ALS and passed away last year. Um, and this was a, a tragedy for, you know, a huge number of people who knew him. I mean, he was a very, very well liked, you know, loved character in the golf industry, especially in the UK. Um, and so he passed away last summer and, um, uh, you know, he was 76 years or 75 years old. And, uh, I I just thought you know what this is the kind of person that golf meets and all about um yeah. and so the book is not a sad story um you really I don't I don't go into the whole the you know the, the disease or anything like that this is this is 18 chapters of a celebration of 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 him and his life and his wit um, and then you know some fun things about some other characters um in golf 18
3: uh, chapters, 18 holes in golf. Was that a, a coincidence? <laughs> no,
2: no, no. no. <laughs> if that was a coincidence, uh, I, we, we'd all be waking up with, uh, with, a, with, a, with the wrong radio station and the, and the, wrong, the wrong industry. Uh, no, I, <laughs> I, I started it on purpose with, uh, okay, let me come up with 18 chapters, 18 things that everybody can look at, and then have a, have a 19th, which is a recap. Okay. Um, well, so um, I, I um, wanted to keep it simple and keep you and forward.
3: Luke's going to stick around and do another segment with this. We're coming up on a break here. Uh, the book is called One for the Memory Bank, publisher number nine, publishing house, released last month. As I said earlier, make a great Christmas gift if there's a golfer in your orbit. Luke Reese, author, joining us today here on TD Green. We'll be right back.
1: visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov
2: I don't even recognize myself anymore.
3: I'm really worried about him. his addiction. I haven't seen him like this ever.
2: Hey look I, I never wanted to
1: start using. I, I knew the drill, but I was out of options.
4: I just want to tell him it's not your fault. There are people out there who can help.
3: Talking golf 52 weeks a year and loving it. That's what we do every Sunday here on TD Green, now on Sirius XM Channel 211 and the Sirius XM app. Later in the hour, Kurt Sampson, uh, the author, will be here to join us uh, tell us about some of his uh, latest writings and musings. He's in Augusta getting ready for You Know What next week. He's also going to talk about his latest book, which is a little over a year old now, called Roaring Back, The Fall and Rise of tiger Woods, but we're continuing with another author on the line with this is luke reese his book is called one for the one for the memory banks warm recollections of real events that took place with real people however high their handicap he met his mentor alan bond a few years back bond was nearly 20 years older than him but he showed him the ropes and then some through the years Uh, luke how long did did your relationship with alan bond extend how long did it last
2: Uh, basically from 1994 until this past year, uh, till 19, till 2019. So, you know, 25 years. Um, and it was just, uh, we, we played golf, you know, during the, you know, early, I would say the 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 late nineties and the early O's, we played golf probably, you know, uh, 20 times a year, uh, maybe, maybe 20, 20 different rounds a year, uh, a bunch of places. And then I would say once he retired, and went off. We played at least. We would have three different trips a year. Um, and you know, I think that you know one of the one of the great parts of you know for me writing this book. I think the essence was also to remind, remind people that life is short. And uh, playing more rounds with people you really like to play with, and playing at places you really like to play. It's it's it sort of uh, it's a, it's a limited it's a limited, limited thing. We don't get a mulligan. We don't get a second round at life. Um, go do it. Go, go go fill go fill your memory banks. And Bondi, you know, the reason the book is called One for the Memory Banks is every time we'd uh, we you know put the tea in the ground, Bondi would sort of put his in the ground and sort of walk up there and say, oh, "Here's one for the memory banks," and then he'd say something just very funny. Um, and he would, you almost could tell he'd sort of slightly thought of it beforehand. You know, he'd sort of say, "Okay, oh, here's one for the memory banks," and then he'd make some wise little quip. So. Almost every time in the book, I you know, I, I've highlighted those things because we played courses all over and a whole bunch of different things.
0: So some of those examples that you, uh, I guess, are, are included in the book, uh, as far as the, you know, one for the uh, memory banks, when he said those particular things as he's teeing up the, the golf shot, is he thinking in his own mind, and, and are you thinking in your own mind, now that we're out here, we're going to beat each other down?
1: Oh, oh god
2: yes. Oh, yeah, no, no, but, but and his always was... How he was going to have a victory over me? I mean, his these these were not these were slightly taunting remarks. This is this is like playing you know basketball against Michael Jordan. Um, Bondi was a sort of a low handicapper, and think about it. You know, I was a I throughout the book. I start probably in the book as a as a fifteen handicapper as he and I start playing matches, and then I move down to where I'm, I'm today, which is probably somewhere uh, two or three. But at the time, this guy was just. Incomprehensibly better than I was, and I'm sitting there watching him play, and I'm like, "How he never folded under pressure. So he'd always step up and play a likely, an easy victory for Bondi, and then a nap on the way home, you know." And you just sort of say these kind of things, and you knew he would just apply this vice-like pressure on you, and he could he could generate a three-putt out of me with just a sideways glance, you know, like, oh, this is a squirrely little one, you know, and and he'd say these things, and I'd be like, oh, God, I'm going to miss this one. I know I'm going to miss this one, and what's he going to say when I miss it? You know, it's one of those. Um, and, you know, over time, I've been battle-hardened by the guy, so I'm now actually a very good putter, but it's uh, it's one of those things <laughs> where... You know, people who people who know me today are like, "Were you that bad?" I'm like, "Dude, especially against him." Okay, against this guy, he could he could literally have me miss a two footer, and just it, 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 it was just a you know. So sorry.
0: Yeah. Go ahead.
3: I think everyone you know, everyone listening is probably smiling because they know or play with somebody who's just like that.
0: That's the effect, uh, I was going to tell you, Luke, Luke, that's the effect that Jay Ritchie has on me when we go out and play. He applies all that pressure, and I, you know, I fold. It's amazing.
2: I,
3: I once played, you know, you remember Jerry Barton, right? Yes. Jerry, Jerry Barton would come out, and the first thing he would do was he would stop on the first tee. He would look around and kind of extend his arms and put out his palms and go, how good is this? How good is this? Yeah. And then he would have a golf, then he would have a golf joke. And it was always a different yeah. joke every round. And that's how we started our rounds of golf every time. Okay, how good so, was that? So, he,
2: yeah. so the great thing is, that guy is my Bondi. And there, yeah. there's, there's sort of, there's one, maybe maybe if a club's lucky. Every club has one if they're lucky, okay? And it may be that, you know, but this was sort of like the, you know, he was the perennial all-star of that funny joke guy there. And, and I know another one, you know, I've played, I've managed to play with a lot lately. But um, Bondi was the kind of guy that everybody wanted to be around. Everybody wanted to hear what he had to say. And, you know, when you guys actually read the book and and, and finish it, you're you're going to crack up consistently because his lines were ones that I wrote down over the years. And he just said funny things that I literally have never heard anybody say since. You know, every once in a while, there are the occasional ones. But he didn't have a lot of those standard lines. He would make up something that was appropriate and it just came to him so quickly, and uh, his brain worked, but he could literally talk anybody into a bad shot, (laughs) just with a small little comment, a little wise, and you know, the other character in the book is a guy named Angus Moyer, who was a Scottish amateur champ, and this is sort of my, my recollections and my discussions about golf, so I'm playing with two people who are amazing golfers, and you know, it helps sort of, turned me into a golfer I am today. But Angus was the kind of guy that he was so nice and so polite and you didn't realize that he wanted to beat you. Because you're thinking, dude, I'm, I'm a beginner. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a 15 handicap. I've been playing for a couple of years. Ang- Angus doesn't care about beating me. He beat Colin Montgomery to win the Scottish Jam. He doesn't care. fact, Angus wants to beat the crap out of you every time he puts the team in the ground. It <laughs> doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter where it is he wants to win, but he'll constantly make you feel as if you're doing well, and then he suddenly applies pressure at the end, so they had very, very different styles, but uh, they were, they battle hardened me in match play, and Bondi would never sit back and tell you how to how to get better, Angus would. Angus would be like, okay, here's what I want you to do, I want you to practice this shot, and that sort of yeah. thing. So, anyway, so these were, these are our recollections there, um, and uh, I hope also when you guys read this, um, there are, I, I put three archetypal characters in the book because when we were in Ireland, I, you know, basically we spent some time discussing a guy named Joe Carr who was really a classic, typical Irishman, a guy named Hammy McAnally who was a really very typical Scotsman who won the Scottish Am three times, um, and then a guy named Laddie Lucas who won, who was probably the finest, one of the finest English amateurs ever. Uh, who was an RAF pilot. So we, you know, I, I try to give enough history and background so people will feel like they've got, you know, some fun stuff to read, not just uh, stories of Luke and Bondi playing match play. Well, were
0: uh, I guess, highlighting all the times that you got a chance to play with him. What were your favorite courses that you got to play with him about? Um,
2: you know, I, I was asked by somebody uh, on, on another interview with Fried Egg, uh, the podcast. He sort of said, uh, you know, what would you do uh, you know, if, you, if you could play one more course or one more round uh, or or have one more trip in your life, uh, what would you do? And I, I've thought about that, and my, my first comment is actually going to be sort of a cop-out because essentially what I'd do if I had one trip left in golf is I'd take this book and I'd actually – just follow it course by course by course through the uh, succession. Uh, we played, you know, in Royal County Down. The matches take place. Um, the Irish courses are Royal County Down, which is one of my favorite courses anywhere. Um, Royal Dublin and Port Portmarnock in Ireland. In Scotland, we played matches at Western Gales, uh, uh, Port Mar- uh, I'm sorry, Royal uh, Royal Dordic, uh, Lossy Mouth, and London Links. And then down in England, we played at uh, also Macrohanish and Macree out of the islands the sort of whiskey islands out in the west. And then we played uh, down in England, uh, south in the southeast, we played at Royal St. Ports and uh, Princess. And then in Wales, we played at, uh, at some courses. So I think that um, when I look at it, my favorite would be Royal Doric and Royal County Down. And Port Marnock would be the three that I would say would be my absolute favorites that I would play over and over and over again every single one of them was so special for such different reasons that this is the kind of concept where to me, you know, my, my whole goal here was I wanted, you know, that one lead dog in the, in the golf foursome to buy three copies, give it to their friends and say, let's go plan a trip and let's go somewhere. Um, there you go. That's, and there'll be lots of
6: trips.
3: We've all played those rounds of golf where just amazing stuff happens. And one of, one of, uh, one of the golfers will turn to the others and say, we should be writing this down. We should write a book someday. <laughs> this guy's done that. Yeah. Luke Reese. It's called One for the Memory Banks. Just out. Number nine, Publishing House. Like I said, Christmas coming up. It make a great gift in someone's Christmas stocking if you got a golfer in your orbit. Luke, great job. Um, you're in Colorado, so we're going to have to get together, get you back on oh, the show and play some I, golf sometime.
2: I, I would I would love to play with you, love to meet, sit down, uh, do me a favor. Um, I, you know The reviews are good enough that I think you guys should hopefully do it. And my mom was a little upset that somebody compared it to Hemingway. She's like, but he was a heavy drinker. And I'm like, Mom, Mom, Mom.
3: <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's Luke Reese. We're going to have to take a break. We'll come back with Kurt
1: Sampson next. That's 800-472-5145
5: Your top source for golf news
3: and entertainment on the radio, online, and on your smartphone, you found it. It's right here. It's T.D. Green, the golf show. Jay Richie, Jerry Evans. We talk golf every Sunday here on T.D. Green. Scott Cuddy in Master Control and on the T.D. Green guest line. Our next guest is standing by, ready to go. If you've followed golf and you've read anything about golf in the last 30 years or so, Golf Digest, Golf World, you've probably read... Uh, Some of his work, Kurt Sampson, author, besides writing for those two esteemed publications, has published a number of books on his own, uh, including uh, The War by the Shore, the story of the 1991 Ryder Cup, which was written in 2012. The Eternal Summer, this is the first Kurt Sampson book that I read. It was published in 1992. Palmer, Nicholas, and Hogan in 1960, Golf's Golden Year. I also read The War by the Shore. Uh, he's written a couple of books about Tiger, Chasing Tiger, in 2002. Last year, October of 2019, he wrote Roaring Back, The Fallen Rise of Tiger Woods. He's also written books on the Masters, 1998, the Masters, Golf, Money, and Power, and Augusta. He kind of pulled the veil back on Augusta 20 years ago when that was kind of unheard of in the sport. And then in 2005, he wrote The Lost Masters. Grace and Disgrace in 1968. That was the Roberto DiVincenzo when he signed an incorrect scorecard and got disqualified. Right. Yeah. So great material there. Great, great writing. And we're happy to have Kurt Sampson joining us today on TD Green. Hey, Kurt, how you doing?
6: Hello, Jay. Hi, Jerry. So are you in Augusta? No, sir. Uh leaving leaving um, in the morning. Um, oh, okay. I will be there to watch the uh, fan-free masters surely a bizarre experience awaits me
3: are you surprised though
6: that you are actually going to be there <laughs> uh, no not really I, I to full disclosure is I, I i didn't and didn't even try for a media credential they have a very very few of those are uh are being um uh, were, were given out so my assignment for golf world magazine is to uh tell the story of uh, I guess going to Luigi's and being able to get a, a table without a wait and um watching watching that uh, the 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 tournament that's 300 yards away from the uh from the uh men's grill room at Augusta Country Club which as you know is uh next door to Augusta National it's it's going to be fun and funny i hope i'm going to see my usual friends there so uh, i'm looking forward to it
0: but you have had to go through coronavirus uh, protocols, haven't you? No, sir. No. Um, I'll just just wear
6: a mask. No. I. I you know, I'm uh, not really having anything to do with uh, with Augusta National or the Masters. I will not be on the grounds. Um, no one will. Uh, it, it's going to. It's going to be so strange. I, I don't know what I'm going to think about it. But I am going to write about it. Your latest book, timely,
3: called "Roaring Back: The Fall and Rise of Tiger Woods," released uh, not just a couple months ago, October, a month ago, October, but last October of 2019, before the world and the golfing world changed. Uh, you ever think about the timing of all that?
6: <laughs> oh, sure. You know uh, that uh, that book is more or less uh, instant nostalgia for. Uh, Tiger's win in 2019, which was enormously popular, as you know. Um, so I was, um, asked by a publisher to, uh, get a book out, uh, about, uh, Tiger and, and how he did it, how he, uh, bounced back from the absolute depths as an American athlete and celebrity, uh, to win again, uh, personally and professionally. He was absolutely in the pit. So I, uh, while I don't, I don't come to any of my writing uh, really from a fan standpoint, and I'm not, strictly speaking, a fan of Tiger. I have uh, tremendous respect for the work he put in and the talent he possesses.
3: You wrote a book about Tiger, Chasing Tiger, in 2002. How different was that Tiger versus the Tiger you wrote about last year?
6: Yeah, that was uh, the, the... uh, Tiger wasn't even married back then, and while I was while researching that, I was getting the girlfriend in every port story from a variety of people. I, I didn't think it was a story or even worth commenting on. Uh, since 2002, he got married, and then he was a serial uh, uh, philanderer. Um so that's pretty uh, pretty different. He's a grown man now. His father is passed on. Um he has kids. He's matured. Uh somehow uh Tiger's uh really found his his way. Uh he melted a lot of hearts it seemed to me um just with the way he greeted his uh kids and his mother um after winning the the uh the masters um uh a year and a half ago uh, he, people uh, he, i think uh, began to mm, see him as a as a a real man like uh like like the rest of us like many of us <laughs> uh that you know with a with a family and feelings and so forth and not a, a robotic cliche machine um after he's uh after he's won the the, his uh, the tournament inevitably. In other words, his his PR is just zoomed up, and he's considered a, I think, by more people, uh, uh, to be a good guy.
0: Overall, I was wondering about uh, some other publications that you're at, or, or I guess books that you wrote, uh, like The Eternal Summer of Palmer, Nicholas Hogan, 1960, Golf's Golden Year. Why did you f- talk about that being the golden year, uh, outside of the fact that those are three names that are have uh, been etched in history, I guess, as far as golf is concerned? And also, uh, I was wondering about... Uh, the I guess The Masters, Golf, Money, and Power in Augusta in 1998. If you could maybe talk about those two particular books.
6: Oh, sure. I'm happy to, uh, uh, Jerry. The um, I had this ongoing fascination with Ben Hogan just from the uh, accident of where I live. I was a frequent guest at Shady Oaks Country Club where Hogan uh, called home so a lot of times I just watch the guy eat lunch. Um, the protocol there is don't don't burst up to Mr. Hogan and ask for an autograph or get him to uh, reminisce. So I uh, I said hi to him many times and and watched him uh, eat a salad and drink a glass of wine. And after about, thinking about the best year uh, or at least the most vivid year in golf, I, I settled on 1960. It had the what's what the ter- one tournament many people consider to be the best, most exciting tournament ever that year's U.S. Open at Cherry Hills, and it was the one year that, uh, in a meaningful way, Palmer, Nicholas, and Hogan, past president and future of golf, competed against each other in a in a meaningful way. Uh, so they were in the same field at the Masters and the and the U.S. Open. Uh, and that was quite a battle. And I'll, I, I, that book, I think, holds up after all these years. Um, that book led me to write uh, my biography of Hogan, uh, imaginatively entitled Hogan, which you may have come across. And from there I went to um, my my book, again, with a very out-of-the-box uh, title, The Masters. Uh, just another, like Hogan, a, a Slightly mysterious institution, really, in golf that I, I didn't think had been reported on very well or very thoroughly. So um, that book has uh, done well and, and still lives in, in paperback and in ebook form uh, today, which is um, which I'm very happy about, and uh, I, I hope you'll you'll give it a look.
3: We're with uh, Kurt Sampson who's written a number of golf books, written for Golf Digest and Golf World. We had uh, our last guest, we were talking to Luke Reese, who's a who's a young and upcoming author, and made the comment that uh, it's it's really great, uh, A, that the golf is one of the sports in which storytelling is still a big part of the mystique of the sport, and B, uh, uh, in an era when a lot of people don't read anymore, Kurt, golfers for the most part golf fans still read
6: that's very that's a very interesting point uh your previous guest and you make uh, i think it uh, off the top of my head it, it has to do with uh the game itself when you and i play at the end of the of the day we've got kind of a story to tell not that anyone wants to hear it but <laughs> within our uh in our own minds uh you know there was the challenge we based on the third hole and the birdie we made on the fourth and the triple we made on the fifth. It's, it it lends itself. It seems to me uh, to a a narrative of your uh, long walk in nature. And then, you know, to see the greatest in the world, play it, uh, see and comment on how they do it. um, It's a, it's a rich, a rich subject uh, that I've been writing about for, 31 years now gosh i'm getting old <laughs>
3: <laughs> what we, you're you're on your way to augusta what do you expect besides no fans what else do you expect is going to kind of jump out at you when you get there
6: oh gosh um also there's no part three um I, there's uh no practice round attendance um Jeez, it's hard to comment. Uh, I, I don't know what to think yet. I, I, a little while ago, I was thinking about this story I'm about to write, and it seems to me there's only been one bad Masters, and that I wrote a book about it. That was the 1968 version, in which uh, Roberto DiVincenzo signed an incorrect scorecard, and instead of being tied for first and going to a playoff on Monday instead he fell into second place and bob golby got the uh, got the green jacket uh it was a terribly confused and confusing moment it took some half an hour or so to declare a winner at at the end of play uh just 10 days before that masters began uh uh dr king was assassinated in memphis the crowds were down people were uneasy there were um national guard troops in various cities, and you know you may remember- you guys aren't old enough to remember, but there was no, no we remember <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute <laughs> looting and burning, and just an odd time for a golf tournament, and then it had this very odd result Be, um as far as
3: the the course, how different do you think augusta? is going to play in November versus April.
6: I'm told that to establish the rye, the annual ryegrass, they pour by the ton on the the course to make it very green uh, in the winter. And it's mostly a winter golf course, as you, as you know, it's closed for the summer Um, to get that grass to establish, they have to pour a lot of water on it too. Um, think there's at least a chance that it'll be slightly soggy on the other hand um i i happen to know that they have that fancy expensive uh, uh, machinery under their greens and even under some of their fairways called subair it's the uh, oh, yeah. drainage and temperature control they have so much money they can put it anywhere i don't Can you picture them having trouble spots? Uh, I can't. You know, they don't. They don't do that there. (laughs) It's all perfection.
3: All right. Tell you what, we talked about this uh, during the week, you and I did. How about we bring you back on next Sunday and get your thoughts uh, on the tournament to that point next Sunday?
6: Absolutely. I'd love to talk again. Thanks, Thanks for having me today.
3: Yeah, it's been fun talking to Kurt Sampson who's covering the uh, Masters at Augusta for Golf World, and has written a number of books on the tournament itself, including 1998's The Masters, Golf, Money, and Power in Augusta, and 2005's The Lost Masters, Grace and Disgrace in 1968. And we'll bring him back on the show next week and get his thoughts on Championship Sunday at Augusta.
0: Should be interesting, that's for sure.
3: Yeah, that's for sure. It all starts on Thursday. A tournament like no other, and this year they're really going to live up to that
0: name. You think Jim Nance will say that again?
1: That's 855-325-1780.
5: Do
0: you owe $10,000 or more on at least two federal student loans? Then you may qualify
6: for new programs offered by the Department of Education. These programs can reduce your interest, lower your payments, and possibly qualify you for loan forgiveness.
3: Fastest hour in radio, the quickest hour in golf. It's tee to green, the golf show. Not done yet. Time for a quick look at what's happening on tour. Jay Ritchie alongside Jerry Evans. The ladies are off again today, but the, the the both of the men's tours, the Tour Champions and the regular PGA Tour, are competing. The older guys, the Charles Schwab Cup Championship down in Phoenix at the Phoenix Country Club. Kevin Sutherland threatening to run away with it. He's got a five-shot lead at 13-under par. West Short, Jr., 8-under. Tom Lehman, Paul Broadhurst tied next at 7-under. Uh, big group, Corey Pavin, Jim Furick, Woody Austin, Mike Weir, 6-under par. And then you got, uh like Ernie Els and Fred Couples, who are both at 4-under par, way off the pace. But uh, they're playing for all the marbles. The big senior tour championship, the Charles Schwab Cup down in arizona this weekend meantime the tournament before the masters this year is now the houston open at memorial park golf course in houston texas and uh, scott burns has a lead he's at nine under par. did i get his name right right okay yep. scott burns is at nine under par a one-shot lead going into the final round today carlos ortiz jason day at eight under steve straka Seth Stracca at 7-under. Dustin Johnson, back from coronavirus, is at 6-under, 3-back going into the last round
0: today. Doesn't seem like he lost a lot because I saw him hit one drive and, wow, he still got a lot of meat behind the ball.
3: Tune up for Augusta. Yeah, I think so. That's what we'll be talking about next week here on TD Green. Our thanks to Kurt Sampson. He'll be back with us next Sunday from Augusta National. And to Luke Reese, the book, again, is called One for the Memory Banks. Really, a couple of great guests, fun talking golf with them today. Hope you all enjoyed it. Everybody have a great week. We'll see you back here next Sunday. In the meantime, get out and play some golf. Hit them long. Hit them straight.